Nice to see your smiling faces. Welcome everybody joining us online, streaming in your living room, in your PJs, wherever you may be, whatever you are wearing. We are glad that you are here today. Uh, I want to open up the scriptures today, but before we do, um, I wanted to ask you a favor, everyone, both here in the room and online. If you would join me in expressing some appreciation for two of our elder team members who have recently transitioned from their serving positions. And I want to just let you know how much they mean to us. Uh, First off, you may know a man named John Libby. So John Libby, everybody, has been serving on our elder team for 17 years straight. Uh, I know. Okay, 2005. Where were you in 2005? Uh, I don't know, but I know where John Libby was. And uh, he's going to be stepping down so that he and his wife, Meredith, can continue serving here at Redeemers. But they wanted to serve together and do some things uh, as a team. And so uh, that makes a lot of sense because Meredith is, quite frankly, the better half of John by a long shot. So... uh, (laughs) Next, we have Wally Gwaltney, everyone. He has been serving as an elder for about five years, and Wally recently felt led to hang up his elder cleats as well. And uh, he and his wife, Gail, lovely wife, will continue to stay active here at Redeemers as we move forward. And so listen, it's hard to summarize over 20 two years of faithful service, countless hours of prayer and, and a lot of meetings and, uh, and quite frankly, um, uh, you know, midnight calls and hanging out with folks, grabbing coffees, helping support the different ministries and the staff. And it really is, uh, it is a, 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 an amazing thing to be an elder and the Lord has used the two of you, your service here. And, uh, and then the last two years, of course, pandemic uh, eldership leadership has been, uh, I don't know, that's been fun, hasn't it? I don't know. It's been interesting for sure. So guys, I know you just clapped for John, but would you join me in a round of applause and appreciation for these guys? And just for the record, neither one of them, I could get them on the stage. So that's why they're not up here. They refuse to do that. So that just, that's on them. But no, I love you guys. Uh, a quick note, though, on our elder team, uh, the guys continue to be active in the life of the church. A lot of it happens behind the scenes. But if you ever want to talk to an elder, if you want to grab a coffee, have a time of prayer, our eldership team is very accessible to the life of the church. You can find out who they are. Usually around here, they have a little lanyard uh, on weekend service in the building, or you can check out the website. All of their faces are online, and you can click and go right to an email. They will return those emails. They're very responsive. And um, I want to just let you know, we're going to be sharing more developments with the eldership team as we continue to work on our next elder training process. So in the meaning, in the meantime, rather, please, uh, when you see an elder, hug an elder. I mean, give them a high five. Uh, these guys are awesome, and uh, they really do help our church uh, through the ups and downs of life as they lead this church. So again, thank you so much for being so supportive. Okay, let's have you take out those message notes now. And then as Abby said in our little video there, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 90. We're going to look at Psalm 90, which is the first book of book four of the book of Psalms, which is a mouthful. We learned a few weeks ago that Psalms, which is 150 songs and poems of ancient Hebrew life, it's broken up into five different chunks, five books. And what we're doing in this series is looking at the first Psalm in each of those five books, Psalm 90, first book of Psalm 
uh, first Psalm of Book 4, and it's considered, guys, to be the oldest of all of the 150 Psalms. And the reason for that, you're going to see, as you look at the, the heading there, uh, it's, uh, it's written by Moses. So Moses is, is here. Uh, this is the only Psalm we think he offer, authored. And Moses lived a long time ago. He lived about 3,500 years ago from today. Four or five hundred years prior to King David, King David wrote at least 73 of the Psalms. So this is an oldie. This is an oldie, but a goodie, as they say. And uh, you can use your first fill-in now. I'm giving you some backdrop of Psalm 90 as we get into the passage. So Moses is the author here. And the heading also tells us that it's a prayer of Moses. So this isn't necessarily a song in terms of its original format, but this was originally a prayer. And Moses, by the way, is considered to be, to be one of the great prayer warriors of the uh, Israelite people in their history, a powerful prayer warrior. You can, uh, you can see in the scriptures he had a special relationship with God in prayer. When, when Moses talked with God, things tended to happen. And uh, like we read in the scriptures, when he hung out with the Lord and was in his prayer closet, he would come out of that prayer closet. A lot of times his face was glowing, literally glowing. The glory of the Lord was shining on his face, so much so that the people around him were like, man, we can't look at you. The, The glory is too much. And so he had to wear a veil over his face sometimes. That was his prayer life. How's your prayer life doing? I don't know. Mine's not that good either, but his was. And so this is a a powerful prayer. Uh, Another psalmist writes about Moses' prayer life and basically says in Psalm 99, when Moses prays, God listens to him. And so if you're reading the the Torah right now, the first five books of your Bible in our Yobel reading plan, our Year of Biblical Literacy daily reading plan, you're going to see a lot of Moses you have since the beginning of, almost the beginning of the year here. And so you know what I'm talking about. So what we have here then is a treasured prayer from Moses a guy who knew how to pray. And by the way, the reason he knew how to pray so well, he pastored over a million people. And if that ain't going to drive a guy to his knees, then I don't know what is. You know what I'm saying? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> okay, so uh, he pastored a lot of people. Now, this prayer was at some point put to music and, uh, and then became part of Israel's songbook. So originally a prayer, later put to music. Let's now give this a read together. You can follow along with me in Psalm 90. We're going to just read the whole thing. And, uh, and then talk some about it. Here we go, verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence." For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? 
verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us for as, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, what are your reactions to this? It's an interesting psalm, isn't it? This is a psalm that in the history of Christianity has played, a, 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 I'd say, a pretty powerful role, a prominent role. Many Christians kind of put the psalm we just read in the top 10 or top 15 of all the psalms. In fact, for centuries, this was a psalm that was used and read at many funerals of Christian people. This is a poignant psalm. It's contrasting the, the, the grandeur of God, the mightiness of God with the frailty of human people. And we see some of our favorite one-liners, I think, in here as well. They pop up. If you've been bumping around your Bible, you may have noticed some. Now, what we don't know here is when Moses wrote this psalm in his timeline. He lived a long time, around 120 years himself. He covered a lot of ground in those years. He, uh, he saw a lot. Moses did a lot. And, and so we have a lot of scripture that looks at the life of Moses. And so what, what, what some pe- nerds like me and, and commentators do is they try to kind of figure out, well, when in Moses's life would he have written this, given what it says and given what we know? And so there's some theories. And actually, I think the theories kind of nail it down. Uh, the, my favorite one is, is that this is possibly written right after Numbers chapter 20. So Numbers 20 is one of the, 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 the books of, of Moses, the, the Torah. And in Numbers 20, we find Moses and the Israelites coming to an end of nearly four decades of wilderness wanderings. Do you know this story? Are you familiar with this just a little bit? Okay. So this is a journey that should have just taken about two weeks to get out of Egypt and into the promised land. But instead, they just ran circles in the desert in Sinai for almost 40 years. And by this time in Numbers 20, Moses is pretty old. He's about 120. He's just shy of that. And it's been a pretty rough four decades for the fella. Uh, and yeah, probably it's been a rough decade for longer than that. Maybe maybe 10 decades. Maybe his first two decades were pretty good. I mean, he was in Egypt living it up. And then after that, it was like, Phew. and so, but especially this, this wandering, right? They were, they were this gr- group of people living in tents, walking around in circles, having to tear down the tabernacle, the tent of God, and then rebuild it when the Lord moved. And, uh, this is, by the way, a group of people that's bigger than the size of Portland, um, and almost as unruly as the Port- Portlanders are. And, <laughs> And so what we see here is that all of this was taking place because of this judgment that was upon the Israelites 
for their stubbornness and their sinfulness towards God. 38 years prior to Numbers 20, we can go to Numbers 13. And we see that Moses, right before the wanderings happen, he sends out 12 spies from amongst the people from the 12 tribes to scout out the promised land. They want to check it out. Then everybody agrees. And so they do this. And the 12 guys come back and they're just raving. I mean, this is a great place. They're like, this is like a, a, a land where there are, are, are just, there's fields and there's brooks and streams. There's a big freshwater lake. Uh, there's, there's crops, there's oats, there's barley, uh, there's, there's vineyards and they bring back some grapes. I mean, this is a land of milk and honey and they're all excited. And then if people are all around, they're like, yeah, this sounds great. And they're like, then they're like, 10 of the spies are like, but hold the phone, everybody, because there's some pretty mean, nasty people there. So that are big and ugly and, uh, and there's no way they're too strong for us to beat. And so the 10 spies are like, we should just go back to Egypt because we're going to die if we try to take this land. And the only thing they see is the circumstances. They're seeing through the eyes of circumstance. But then there's two of those spies and their names are Joshua and Caleb. They're seeing with the eyes of faith and there's this like big argument, right? And it's 10 against two and there's like a million people watching and the two guys are like, you guys need to shut up, man, because we have God on our side. Don't you remember what God just brought us out of? We can take this land. We can take these big bullies. We can take Goliath and his friends and his, you know, all, we can take these, these, these guys and, and they're like, we just have to trust God. And then the people are like, uh, the 10 win. They listen to the majority. And so, uh, they're like, okay, we're done. We're out. Moses, you're fired. In fact, they try to stone Moses and kill him. And then God has to intervene and he intervenes just at the right time and says basically to the people, you're done. The, the people that are about to stone Moses, this whole generation, you don't want to go into the promised land? Fine. You don't have to go in the promised land, but what you're going to do is you're not going to go back to Egypt, but you're going to wander around in this nasty desert for the next 40 years until you guys all croak, until you die out. And so God pronounces a, a, a judgment on their stubborn lack of faith. And, they, and, they, and they, this is what happens. Can you imagine how frustrating it is? When you get traffic and you can't get to where you're going and you're just like, ah, that sense that you're, you're, this is how they live for 40 years. Israel would have to wait till the next generation was old enough to take the land. And so they wandered and they waited for everybody to die off. It's a little bit like Gen Xers waiting for all those boomers to die off so they can get in control, right? <laughs> I thought that was funnier than you laughed. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, okay. So anyways, they do start to die off slowly. But then in Numbers 20, it really is like it's the time. And so we read that Moses loses his sister, Miriam, and Moses loses his brother, Aaron. And then two other things happen. A bunch of Moses' peers do start to die off. Old age is hitting them. And man, they're, they're left and right. They're croaking. He's going to a lot of funerals. They were dropping like flies. And then in the moment of all of this loss, Moses kind of loses it. And he, he, he commits his own sin of disobedience before the Lord. He tries to take the place of God and the Lord loves Moses, but the Lord disciplines Moses and says, you know, you're going to be unable to enter the promised land as well. And so this is all in Numbers 20, this confluence of crushing events and loss and disappointment. And it all comes together. And this is why the commentators postulate that this is what Psalm 90 was, was coming from all of these things. 
He was processing his losses in prayer. So let's summarize the backdrop here. Perhaps Moses composed this after he loses his siblings, his peers, and then permission to enter the promised land. So with that backdrop in mind, let's draw a few observations that we see here in the psalm, and let's, let's kind of interact with them a little bit. Um, you know, as we said, this is 3,500 years old, but this is a prayer that actually has a lot of relevance to us today and to our circumstances and what we go through. And so let me show you what I mean. This is the first observation. It's, it says this, in difficult seasons of life, we can respond with praise and not just lament. This is so challenging. Psalm 90 is not a lament psalm. Remember, we talked about this. Many of the psalms are laments. Remember what that word means? Lament is, is, a, is a complaint. It's a groaning. It's a frustration. It's, it's, it's letting out and discharging your anger before the Lord. God, my life stinks right now is a lament. And we see this in many of the psalms. God, my life is so terrible. I want to tell you about it. My enemies are prospering. They're living their best lives now. They're on, on Instagram and my life is terrible. And, 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 and I don't have any money. I'm in the dumps. I think I'm going to lose my job. And by the way, where are you, Lord? Where are you anyway? Have you forgotten all about me? Are you even there? That's a lot of the Psalms. They're laments. The difficulties of life just pressing down upon people. And these are songs and these are groanings. And that's a lament. But Psalm 90 is not a lament. That's not what's happening here. Look at verse 1 again. Lord, Moses says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses is looking back through time amidst all of his loss and his death and, and his sister and his brother and losing the, 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 the ability to go in the promised land, right? He's not lamenting. He's actually praising God. He's, he's, he's just spilling out of his heart is the faithfulness of God, the grandeur of God, the bigness of God, the hugeness of God. The main subject of Psalm 90 is not a lament about Moses' circumstances. Rather, it's his God he's talking about. So Psalm 90 is about Moses looking at his Lord and not at his losses. Again, so challenging. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. The Hebrew word dwelling place means refuge. You've been the place where we have hidden for safety. You're a big God. We dwell in you. We always have. He's worship. This is a worship song. This is a prayer of worship. So um, here's how we can interact with this. I think we're learning, our, our, I think we're learning, Redeemers, how to psalm. You know what I mean? We're learning how to psalm in our study. So far, we've learned that we can bring our complaints and groanings and laments to the Lord. In fact, that may be the best place to put them. God wants us to go into our prayer closets and give him our, burn, our burdens. We can be honest with God. We can lament towards God. There's times in my life, in my low times, where I have hiked hills and, and, and trails in the woods. And in California, there is no woods because they tore them all down uh, and put houses. And so you got to go way out. And, you, and you're just in the wilderness. And I'm in just all by myself. And I'm lamenting. I'm emoting. I'm complaining. I'm giving it to the Lord. And no one can hear me. I'm throwing rocks around. There was one time I actually was in a forest. And it was, I came 
came across a dead tree and it was still alive. It was like a little dead tree. You know what I'm talking about? And they just kind of, they didn't fall, it didn't fall over and it's there. And I was like, wow, that tree is dead. And I was so frustrated and it felt like my life. And I remember, I'm like, I'm going to knock that tree down. I'm going to do it. Don't do this. Don't do this. I didn't know that the limbs can fall, okay? So don't do this. I'm stupid. And so there I am in the woods, and I'm just lamenting, and I'm just in this thing, and I knocked it down, and it was like the Lord was like, do you feel better, dummy? I mean, you know, not quite, but basically. And so we can do this. In fact, the suppressed emotions that we have, we're supposed to give to him. Suppressed emotion can be one of the ways that the devil beats us up, these smushed up emotions about our life. It's just crammed in. You know what I'm talking about? When you just kind of stuff it, you don't say anything, and you just don't even deal with it. And then the enemy comes along, and then he torments us with those emotions of frustration. And so the Psalms tell us and teach us to give it to God. Let it out. We can get good at stuffing emotions. And it can have negative reactions and and negative responses. And then it makes our life and our laments even worse. And so the Psalms teach us to give these things over. Now, they also teach us here in Psalm 90, we're not to suppress our worship either. A very old, very mature Moses is teaching you and me to lift up the name of the Lord, even though there's loss in our life. And Moses had significant loss. Some of it was his own fault. And he's not beating himself up about it. In fact, he's doing the opposite. He's lifting up the name of the Lord and he's praising the Lord. This is so challenging. I don't, I mean, the lesson is this. Don't suppress your emotions and also don't suppress your praise. Don't suppress your emotions before the Lord, but don't suppress your praise before the Lord. Oftentimes the the, um, the lament is, is really um, the one thing on the surface. Now, first of all, have you ever tried to praise God when you hit a, ba- a bad spot and not complain but praise? Have you ever tried that? A couple of you have. Mostly the older saints women in our church have tried it, okay? That's what I'm hearing. The rest of us are slow to the party, I think this is stunning. I have not really learned how to do this yet. I'm just going to be honest. And the reason is because our pain shouts to us a lot more. And it's basically, you know what it's telling? It's like, oh, attend to me. Attend to me. Pay attention to me. Our frustrations, these emotions. But our challenge today from the Holy Scriptures is to move from pain to praise. And that's maturity. I have, again, I have room to grow here. Spiritual maturity, Moses is teaching, is about learning to focus on the light of God even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I've learned to lament over the shadows of my life when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I do a pretty decent job at it, I would say. But now I am, friends, learning to also look at the light that is shining, that is creating the shadow in the first place. Without the shadow... I mean, without the light, the shadow wouldn't be possible. The light makes the shadow. To quote one of my favorite Switchfoot songs, circa 2005, the shadow proves the sunshine. Some of you know that. Some of you Gen Xers know that. That's where these guys were in 2005. They were writing this song. So, So Moses was right. He gives us another response option. 
Let's put this into practice. Let me challenge you today. Before you leave church, if you are walking through the valley of shadow of death, if you have loss in your life, if you're frustrated, praise God today before you leave. Lift his name on high. In your storm, tell God how great he is. This is what we hear and learn in Psalm 90. That's our first observation. Our next one is, is, is very different, but also powerful, and that's life is brief, so let's make it count. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Life is brief. Let's make it count. Moses says, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or maybe even 80. They're soon gone and we fly away. Moses says, God is infinite. We are finite. Moses says, compared to eternity, our lives are very brief. Moses says, guys, we're not around all that long. Our days may feel like they're long, but in reality, we're not. So I have on here on the stage a pile of rope, and you may have seen this illustration before. And, uh, and so... Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of briefly walk through it. So, so this is a rope and, um, and actually this illustration comes from Francis Chan and it's on YouTube. It's Francis Chan's rope illustration. You may have seen it there. Uh, and so this is a hundred foot rope, but let this rope represent a timeline of your existence. And so it's, oh boy, this is another sermon. It's like all tied up in a knot here. That's this, <laughs> this is your life. All right. <laughs> It's supposed to stretch out, you know, like, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> we'll, uh, you know, it's just, if, whenever I take a new hose or a rope or an extension cord out of the package, you know, it's supposed to, I, it always knots up for me, like, right away. Is that anybody? Am I, I think I'm the only one. All right, so. Rope it like a steer? Okay. Uh, yeah, I can't do that, John. Um, <laughs> The rope illustration. This rope represents a timeline of your existence. And it starts right here. And it goes in that direction. Picture it going forever. You last forever. Now, you and I are different than the Lord. Because the Lord, if, if you could do a timeline of him, he's everlasting to everlasting. We have a start. He didn't have a start. Moses says that in, in the start of this sermon, the start of his prayer, rather. So this rope, though, it starts here. And this little red part is your life, your years on planet Earth. And think about just the short percentage of this. You see this? And then when you look at this amount right here, it's a few inches. The, you start here. And then when you get to about the middle of the red part is you start really grinding at work. You work really hard. You work, 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 and you save, 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 so that at the very end of your rope, uh, the red part here, you can, um, you can play golf all you want until you and your friends all die, okay? So that's basically what this is. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty short. Then the middle part and then the end part. I only get this much to live here. And then the rest of the rope, I live. And then it depends on where the rope is. 
And that's what Sanjay is going to talk to us about next week. We're not going to talk about that today. This is why Moses says our time on earth is like a sigh. Everybody give me a good sigh. How long did that last? Not that long. We're not around for very long. He says our lives are like a field of grass, another analogy, that withers up at the end of the day. It sprouts in the morning and withers in the heat of the day, which is, which is in the Middle East a, a thing. Um, meadows, uh, the dew in the evening will fall and it will germinate and then the grass will literally grow in a little bit and it'll green up and then by like four o'clock it's just brown. And then that's the cycle. Moses is like, that's us. That's how brief our life is. He's seen people come and go, hasn't he? He's seen quite a few. The lesson is our lives are brief, so we got to make them count. He says, teach us to number our days. What does that mean? He's not talking about just counting our days off until we run out of days. He's challenging us to have the right perspective. There's a side of numbering our days that is healthy. Um, I went on one of these websites that tells you how many days you've lived. And so you enter in your birthday and then it tells you, well, I've been alive today, 17,336 days. So that means, I did the math, if I live to be 80, Lord willing, I have 11,484 days left. That's it. I have about 11,000 left. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, maybe a lot less. I don't know. I may only have 11 days left. That's not meant to depress us. It's meant to help us to cry out to God, Lord, let my life count. I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to be lived for you. If the Lord lets me live out these 11,000 plus days, here's my desire. My desire is to spend most of them here in Roseburg helping every single person our church meets to fearlessly follow Jesus, to help people know and love Christ and to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as their self. That's how I want to spend my days. My desire is to spend those days, again, Lord willing, as a pastor in the forest, a forest pastor. Encouraging, inspiring, teaching, mending, sending, pointing you to Jesus, pointing our neighbors to Jesus. I want to spend those days praising him. I want to spend them living for him, seeking his face, walking with him, understanding his will, living this out, learning to walk the walk of faith. Lord, let my life count. Teach me to number my days. This is my prayer. This is what I believe he's telling to us. Man, I want to do this. This is my heart. This is my desire. And I also, I get to spend those days walking with my wife, Christy, loving her, serving her with my kids, my son, Aiden, our daughter, Karis. I love those kids more than life itself. I would do anything for those kids. I don't know how many days I have left. I may have way less than 11K, But I have no control over that. That is in God's hands. 
He sets the, the length of my life. He sets the numbers of days I have left. I'm grateful for those that I've had. I don't know how many I have left. I'm not in control of that. But you know what I am in control of? I'm in control of how I'd like to spend the ones I have left. I have the decision-making power to decide how to live those remaining days out. And so do you. You were given the same control the control to make a decision of how you'd like to live your days out. Friends, counting time is not nearly as important as making time count. Life is short. Live for him. Life is short. Live for Jesus. Life is so brief. Even when you're young, I know you don't have like the, the, the perspective because life seems like I don't know, a bit of a grind when you're young and you feel like you have a lot of time left and you hopefully do. But nonetheless, even if you live a long life, your life is short. Live for him. Make it count for him. Live for something beyond just building a retirement account and playing golf. That's all wonderful, but have a better purpose, a bigger purpose, an eternal purpose. Live for him. That's the cry of our hearts. Moses says, this is what wise people do. He says, He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wise people do this. And so this pushes the question of what we're living for. What am I living for? Am I living for the weekend? Am I living for today? Am I living for a feeling, for an emotion? Am I living just to get good good stuff happen to me in the part of the red and and the rope? Or am I living for an eternity? Am I living for a purpose that's beyond myself? This is the question that this psalm pushes and presses us. And this is the observation. So the question is put to you, friends. What are you living for? How can you make your life count for something that beyond the little red part that's going to last into eternity? One of the ways that Moses shows us how to make our lives count comes at the very end of his prayer. And it comprises our final observation. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, let your work be shown, Lord, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Verse 17, then let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So so I want you to notice in verse 16, it talks about the Lord's work. Show us your work, Lord. And then in verse 17, it talks about our work. Establish our work, Lord. So Moses' prayer here is that each of us would align our work with God's work. There's God's work, and then there's our work. And this word work just simply means your labor, your effort, how you spend your time, how you spend your days. The prayer is, is that our work would flow from God's work and that our work would be in resonance with God's work. It would line up. God's work always counts. God never does a work that is meaningless, that is temporary, that is, um, uh, that is useless. And Moses is keying in on that. And he's saying, well, let my work be in alignment with God's work because that's how my life's going to count. 
Because if my work, what I put my hand to, how I live my life is in alignment with the eternal God and what he's doing and what he's accomplishing, then what I'm doing and what I'm accomplishing is going to obviously count because it's in the same flow as what God is doing. Do you see this? He's not talking about a specific vocation, by the way. It doesn't mean like a certain job. It just means whatever you are doing Live that way unto the Lord. Make your life count. Align yourself with him. It can be almost anything. Your work, though, can reflect what God wants to do in the place that you are working because your work is in alignment with God's work. I got an email from a friend this week who has a a pretty intense job here in Douglas County, and um, he's got a very stressful job. And his colleagues... uh, in this stressful week of his, in his office, his colleagues multiple times came to him privately and said, hey, um, how, how, do you, how do you live your faith out in all of this stress? Like, we're, you do this so differently than everybody else in the office. And they recognized that because he's a Christian and a man of God, that in the course of his work, he stands apart and he's, he's like shining this light of the Lord in his office, not by preaching or, you know, shoving the Bible down people's throats or beating them over the head with it, but just the way he conducts himself in stressful situations. It is a testimony to the point where multiple people are asking him, how do you do this? What's your source? What's your power? How can we be more like you? He's aligning his work with God's work. And so this is the, this is the, the, the calling on all our lives, wherever we are, wherever we spend our days, is to live in such a way that the Lord's light shines through us and that the people around us wonder, how in the world, why are you so different? Our lives are brief. Let's live for him, not halfway but all the way. Let's go for it. Let's serve and love Jesus. Let's make our lives count. We don't know how many days we have left, but when we come to the end, that's God's decision. We come to the end. We can can be like Moses. We can be like all the men and women of God in history. We can hear what the Lord says to us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Psalm 90, a powerful, powerful psalm, an old psalm, a psalm that is not a lament, a psalm that teaches us how to pray, how to praise in times of difficulty, a psalm that teaches us how brief our lives are, and a psalm that encourages us to to align our lives with what God is doing. This is the word of the Lord, you guys. So, Father, we thank you so much for Psalm 90. We thank you, Lord, that it comes even in a time where I'm sure there's people that are in that are in just dark times, that are in the valley of shadow of death, that are that are having difficulties. And I'm praying, Lord, that this would encourage and inspire us. I'm asking you to give give us your grace, Lord. I'm asking you to give us, Lord, the wisdom to number our days. Not just counting, Lord, but making it count. I'm asking you, Lord, to give us your grace to walk this out. 
Lord, I thank you so much for our time today. I'm praying, Lord, that this, uh, this bit of bread that we uh, were able to consume in your word would be uh, the fuel for the journey this week. And so, Lord, we come to you now and we pray all of these things in your good name. Amen. Amen.